Hello, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today, in our continuing study of the book of Acts, we come to chapter 3, verse 6. Once again, as you get your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 6. Last time we saw Peter and John go to the temple to pray. At the temple gate, they encountered a lame man who was there begging. Let's see Peter's response to the lame man as we resume our study in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, as Peter grabbed the lame man by the hand, saying, In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk, I wonder if that moment he thought, What if nothing happens here? Here I am, the leader of the church. What if I say, In the name of Jesus, walk, and he falls down? No, that really wasn't what Peter was thinking, because Peter knew, because God had given him that. You see, this wasn't something that Peter did on a whim. This wasn't something he did as a promotional event. He did it under the specific prompting of the Holy Spirit. God gave Peter the supernatural ability to trust him for something completely out of the ordinary. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now to call upon the name of someone means to call upon the authority, the power, the office, the nature, the character of that person. The person's name stands for all that person is. A king may send a decree throughout his kingdom, and the decree goes out under his name, you see, under his authority. When Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, he was proclaiming it is the name, the power, the authority, the person of Jesus Christ who will heal you. He was also saying that Jesus Christ is alive. You see, his power, his authority, his name, his person is still active in the earth. It is the name and the power of Jesus that meets the need. It's not Peter, nor is it silver or gold. Verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Now notice that this guy didn't have a lot of faith to be healed. And yet there are some people today, some churches, that have the audacity to say that anybody can be healed if they have enough faith. Quantitatively enough faith and qualitatively the right kind of faith. They say that if you don't have that kind of faith, that you're listening to the devil and you're being robbed by Satan. They say that God always wants you to be always healed. And if you have faith enough, you will be healed. That is false doctrine. And this blows all of that out of the water anyway, because he had no faith to be healed. He had faith only for a handout. Whose faith was it? It wasn't his. It was Peter's who lifted him up. Peter had faith. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he didn't just say that and then walk away. I mean, you know, it's easy to pray for somebody who's sick. I mean, there's no problem in doing that. That's easy to do. But to lift somebody out of a wheelchair and say, come on right now, let's walk, that takes faith. Peter lifted him up 
and he was healed. Now, this is the first miracle of the apostles, and it is an actual continuity of the work of Jesus Christ, in this case, through the Holy Spirit, through Peter and John. On the one hand, it is continuous. It is a continuity of what was started in the Gospels, but it is also a commencement. It's the beginning, the first miracle of the period that we call the church from Pentecost on. Verse 8, So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, the Greek here, in the description of his feet and ankle bones, and the word leaping up are medical terms. They are used only here in all of the scripture by Luke, the author, and of course he was a physician. But he's actually describing a condition of an ankle that was twisted completely out of joint. The ankle bones never came together, never in joint, because the word indicates coming into its socket and being straight. The medical term itself is this, being brought back into its socket and straightened. And so here's this man lying here with his crippled condition, unable to walk from birth because of this problem with an underdeveloped, deformed ankle bone. And yet Peter, with that faith that the Lord had planted in his heart, took hold of the man, he lifted him up to his feet, and immediately the ankle came into joint, and the man began to leap and to praise God. You see, because somebody cared enough to reach out to him in the name of Jesus, his life had been transformed. I mean, can you imagine what it meant to this man? It meant that he could now walk. It meant that he could work. It meant that he never had to beg anymore. It meant that he could live a full life. But it meant more than that, much more. It meant that somebody cared. It meant that Jesus loved him. Now he could live in communion with God every day. He had been healed in more ways than one. I mean, how could he help but rejoice? And that's exactly what he did. I mean, he's walking and leaping and praising God. I think he's excited, don't you? And I love that. You know, he didn't forget to praise. He didn't forget to thank the source. He wasn't like the 10 lepers of Luke chapter 17 that we read about earlier in our scripture reading. They stood afar off and they cried for mercy. And Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priests. And as they went, they were healed, and only one of them turned to give glory to God and to thank Jesus. And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Ten were healed. Nine didn't say thank you. One did. I wonder if that ratio has changed all that much. I wonder if we fail to give God thanks for all of his wonderful blessings. You know, thanksgiving should always be on our lips. This man really thanked God. There was a Time Magazine article on the way Americans pray, and it was interesting that they said, and I quote, the majority of people interviewed who prayed are doing so in a rather superficial manner. Prayers were usually prayers of petition rather than prayers of thanksgiving. Now, petition is, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I want that. God, please, please. God, give me a husband. God, God, take away my husband. God, do this. God, do that. God, please. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants to hear those cries of his children, just like when parents hear their children cry out. 
I mean, they're dependent upon the parents, and the parents don't mind that. But it is interesting that they noted that the prayers were prayers of petition, not thanksgiving, nor intercession, that is, praying for other people that have need, nor asking for forgiveness. After the whole article, they summed everything up with one sentence, and this is what they said. God is for some viewed as a divine Santa Claus. How sad, but it is true. But not this guy. He was walking and leaping and praising God. He was thankful. Verse 9 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It says in verse 10, Then they knew. You see, they knew. I mean, this miracle was real. It was not supposed. They knew it. I mean, this is the guy that they saw day in and day out at the gate of the temple. Now they see him up, walking and leaping and praising God. You see, this was the real thing. This was a genuine healing. It was not an alleged healing that we hear so much about today. It wasn't made up. They were filled with wonder and amazement. It was a real miracle. Notice how this man is a beautiful illustration of what salvation is. First, he was born lame. All of us are born lame, unable to walk so as to please God. Because our ancestor Adam had a fall and he passed his lameness onto us. This lame man was also poor, and we as sinners are totally bankrupt before God, unable to pay the tremendous debt that we owe him. He was also outside the temple. He was at the gate, but he was outside the temple, and all sinners are outside. All sinners are separated from God, no matter how near to the door they might be. And this man was healed wholly by the grace of God, and the healing was immediate. And then he gave evidence of what God had done by walking and leaping and praising God, and by publicly identifying himself with the apostles, both in the temple, that's in Acts 3.11, and in their arrest, and we'll see that when we come to Acts chapter 4. You see, now that he could stand, there was no question where this man stood. No question. Everybody knew. How about you? Have you been healed of your spiritual lameness by the grace of God? If so, if that is really reality in your life, is there any question about where you stand? I mean, do you stand for Jesus no matter what the circumstance? God wants us to be just like this man, walking and leaping and praising God in our hearts because of the great things that he has done for us and done in our lives. Now, if that is in our heart, it will manifest itself in our daily lives, and everyone will know where we stand. Now, if you know where you stand this morning, and it's not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God wants to take you by the hand, and he wants to lift you up and give you new life in him. And may you, like Peter, seize the moment because God wants to do something great in you and for you. On February 6th of this year, they held the 45th National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. The day that that took place, this article was printed in USA Today. 
and it's the cover story on what is called the Lifeline section. The cover story is about Billy Graham. I just wanted to read a little bit to you. It says, Billy Graham, humble before God. If anyone is holier than thou at today's national prayer breakfast, where Bill Clinton is expected to make the traditional presidential appearance, it certainly won't be the Reverend Billy Graham. When the patriarch of American evangelism gives the closing prayer at the annual gathering, Graham's first public appearance since he was hospitalized with pneumonia in December, he'll stand before the nation's political and religious elite as much a sinner as anyone else present. It's going to be quite a revealing thing at the last judgment when we see everyone standing naked before God, Graham told USA Today in his first interview since December. Then there are a few excerpts here. I don't want to read the whole article to you. But it says in an exclusive interview with USA Today, Billy Graham, in parenthesis, I don't like to be called reverend or doctor, Billy Graham reflects on society and on himself. On conscience, he says this, there was a time when our conscience was tender. It has become hardened and deadened. That's a danger. We don't detect sin as we used to. We need to search our own hearts. On his own accomplishments, he said, I have in many ways failed. I haven't lived a life of devotion, meditation, and prayer. I've allowed the world to creep into my life way too much. End quote. Throughout his career, throughout his ministry life, Billy Graham has remained a humble man. And because of that, God has used him to lead literally hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And during his lifetime, he has seen many well-known evangelists come and go. He has seen many of them fall from their place of prominence because of pride, no longer able to be used by God, no longer humble, but prideful. When a man or a woman becomes well-known or famous, that is one of the greatest temptations. And when that happens, God can no longer use them, so they are put on a shelf. And that was one of the temptations that came into Peter's life. And this morning, we are going to see how Peter handled it. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Now, I hope that your imagination can capture this scene. This healed cripple, in his unbounded joy, is holding on to Peter and John with both arms. They are trying to get away, but he will not let them go. The Greek is very strong. It means that he clung to them with great strength. The people around, seeing this commotion, rushed to Solomon's porch of the temple, and recognizing the former lame man who sat at the beautiful gate, they are astonished now at what had happened to him. And when Peter looks out at them and sees their faces, he sees two things. First of all, he sees their astonishment, the fact that they were bug-eyed with amazement at what had happened. But he also saw a sense of reverence for himself and John beginning to develop a mistaken hero worship. And I believe that this was the moment of greatest potential peril for Peter. How easy it would have been for Peter to say, hey, look what happened here. I mean, I did this, look at this. I mean, I had this great surge of faith and power and, and I grabbed this man and now he's walking and he's leaping. Why, this calls for the birth of a new ministry. 
We'll call it the Worldwide Apostle Peter Healing Ministries International. Now, no doubt that was a temptation. Whenever God uses people in any way, there will always be those who look to them and say, you know, you're special. That's just something about you. You know, you're anointed and, and you're really spiritual. People so often relate the work of God with the instrument through which God works. And that is wrong. You know, the church is just like a hospital, and we are all patients in that hospital. There is only one physician, the great physician, Jesus. Now, sometimes some of us, those of us in, in certain positions like pastors, we get mistaken for the physician. People start to think that they are going to get healed through us. But we're patients, you see. We're just like you. And maybe we've just been in the hospital a little bit longer than you have. You know, we just know our way around the hospital better than others. I mean, we can show you where the gift shop is, and we can show you where the cafeteria is, and, and, and we can show you how to make the best of those gowns that are open in the back, and uh, we can show you where the doctor's office is and how to set up an appointment with the doctor. But remember who the doctor is. It's Jesus. It's not me. It's not you. And if you are in any kind of ministry, watch out. Be very careful. It is the base part of our nature which wants people to assume that we're much deeper than we really are, that we're special, that we are really spiritual. And we love to have our name spoken of, don't we? We love people to call our name. We love to have our name lifted up. But do you know what God says? Listen to Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. So if you are a musician, or a Sunday school teacher, or a writer, or a singer, or a home fellowship leader, or a women's leader, or a pastor, or a worship leader, know this. The quickest way to be taken out of ministry is to say, I want my name exalted. There are a number of men and women who were at one time greatly used by the Lord, but are now on the shelf gathering dust because they wanted the glory or even a portion of it. God doesn't appreciate it when he does a great work and we jump in to steal the credit. If God ever uses you mightily, and I believe and I'm convinced that he will if you will let him, always remember that you are an instrument, never the source. You are a channel through which God can work, nothing else. If you were to buy a chocolate milkshake with a straw in it, and you were to drink it all the way down through the straw, I mean, would you say, this straw is amazing? This straw is the most beautiful flavor. I just can't explain it, it's just wonderful. No, all the straw did was convey what was inside, and somebody else made it. That's not the source. Or if a doctor performs an operation, and, and he uses a scalpel and a suture, if the doctor comes in afterwards and, and he's holding the scalpel and the little needle, would you say, Doctor, I just want to praise that scalpel. What a beautiful suture. I just want to praise that suture. No, they were just instruments in the doctor's hands. And Peter was simply an instrument in Christ's hands. And so at this very crucial moment when Peter could have been shelved from ministry, what did he do? Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, 
Why do you marvel at this? Notice that Peter begins by saying, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? You need to underscore the word you. He says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? You should know better. You ought to know that God is this kind of a God. He has acted in your history many times like this. He breaks through suddenly and remarkably and supernaturally, and you ought to know that. And then Peter says, or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter passed the test, didn't he? Peter knows that he's nothing more than a fisherman. Later, Peter himself would write these words. Listen, 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you want to be a person that God can use, you're going to have to learn that God prefers to use humble people. Also, if you want God to use you, don't be surprised if from time to time something humiliating happens in your life. You see, there's a reason for that. Maybe the humiliation isn't so bad after all if it makes us a little bit more usable and being able to be used by God and useful to God. You see, you can choose to be humble or you can let God humble you. The choice is yours. But if you're a humble person, then it's impossible to be humiliated. Peter knows that the great power that has been displayed has been displayed by Jesus. And so he's not going to take any of the glory here, but he's going to use it as an opportunity to share about Jesus, to put the spotlight on Jesus. Peter used what has happened to preach the gospel. He didn't say, now this is important to understand because of what we see so much on television today. He didn't say, wasn't this a wonderful healing service? Now let's go home. We've seen it all, God has shown up, God has visited us, now we can go home. No, he uses that then to teach the word and to share the gospel. And this is a pattern, by the way, through the book of Acts. Miracles draw the attention so that the gospel can be shared and preached and the word can be taught. So when a miracle happened, a message in the book of Acts follows. You'll see that happen as we continue to go. Twice now, God has done things to get the people's attention. And Peter has used those opportunities to teach the word and to tell them about Jesus. A few days earlier, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples during Pentecost, Peter used that opportunity to preach Christ and 3,000 people got saved. And you know, you're going to have opportunities yourself. You'll have opportunities at home or at work or at school where people are going to be amazed about certain things. Perhaps God saves someone's life or saves someone's job. Or maybe it's just the way you handle things. Or maybe it's just because you have a smile on your face all of the time. Use those opportunities to share Jesus with others. When the Holy Spirit first came upon the disciples at Pentecost, Peter used that opportunity to preach Christ, and now he's going to do the same thing. But now, he does it differently. This time he begins with a series of facts which could do nothing but arouse the guilt of these Jewish people. And psychologists today tell us that that's the worst thing that you can do in trying to help someone to arouse a sense of guilt within them. That if you make them feel guilty, then you shut the door to any real help to them. 
But that is not the case, as we will see. Peter does that. He lays a guilt trip on them. Without hesitation, he moves to a recital of facts which arouse the guilt of these Jewish people. Verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So Peter wisely now immediately took the spotlight off of himself and pointed it at Jesus. For it is at his name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up. Now notice the contrast that he draws between the acts of God and the acts of men. He says, God, the very God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God whom you have worshipped, God glorified his servant Jesus, but you delivered him up. See, God glorified him, you delivered him up to be crucified. Then he says at the end of verse 13, and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Now, Pilate tried several times to have Jesus released, but the Jews kept pressing to have Jesus crucified. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, the Jews denied that he was their king. John 19:15, listen. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So in essence, Peter says, the man to whom you delivered him, Pilate, who was a pagan, a Gentile ruler, and who did not have the background of the theology or understanding of God's activity that you have, was convinced of his innocence and tried to release him. But you, he says, you denied him. You people ought to have recognized him as the one sent from God. You denied him, but Pilate tried to release him. Verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just. Now here Peter is using terms that these Hebrews would have understood because they come from the Old Testament. These are names that are applied to the Messiah and they recognize his deity, his divine nature, the fact that the one who was coming would be God himself. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. So Peter says you denied the Holy and the Righteous One when he came. Instead, you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. In his place, you demanded that Barabbas be delivered up to you, and he was a murderer. In other words, you denied the giver of life and asked that a taker of life be delivered up to you. Verse 15, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Peter says you killed the author of life, but God answered you by raising him from the dead. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.